This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking. Now, if you've not heard the first part, you won't be too lost. Maybe a little lost, not too lost. This is Leaving the Matrix, part two of our look at Val Valerian's book, The Matrix, at least volume one of Val Valerian's book, The Matrix. So briefly, The Matrix is very closely related, very much a a sort of massive expansion of the thing known as the O.H. Krill document from the late 1980s in UFO bulletin board system circles and then expanding from there into various other places. And, And we did do an episode on that a few years ago. Now, the first part of The Matrix, the sort of first half of Matrix 1 from 1988 that we looked at last time, um was very much in that vein of what kinds of different grays are here, what are they doing, abductions, implants, cattle mutilations, things like that. The second part is a little bit more focused on the one hand, on more terrestrial conspiracy theories, political stuff, things like that, although that was not absent in the first part, of course, but also things that are more esoteric and spiritual and sort of consciousness-based. But before we get to that stuff, there are a few things from the first half that I did not uh, talk about for whatever reason. And one is an apparent weakness that the aliens might have. As of May 1988, we have discovered that the EBEs are sensitive to materials with a left-hand atomic spin. Sugar is a common substance like this. It could be construed from this that a good way to repulse the EBEs would be to entrain some sort of signal on their biological frequency that would force a change in the spin vector of their atomic structure. I don't think they would last long under that abuse. Now, you've heard me mention on the show before UFO Cover-Up Live, uh, the TV program from 1988, and I'm pretty sure it was in UFO Cover-Up Live that it was revealed that the alien that was captured at Roswell or wherever um, liked strawberry ice cream. So that makes me think that Val Valerian's thing here about sugar and left-hand atomic spins might be disinformation. Also, something spacey, alieny, from uh, the first part of the book that I missed last time or didn't cover last time is something that happened in 1976. You know, we had these aliens taken over, violating our agreement with them, but maybe there was some support out there for us. It is rumored that in 1976, the U.S. government was offered assistance with the EBE problem by a group called the Kaldassians after they set up several bases in the Nevada test range. In a stupid effort to gain their technology by force, the U.S. forces allegedly attacked and tried to overrun the Kaldassian bases. Naturally, the Kaldassians were upset, and they allegedly grabbed 200 of our scientists and spirited them off to a base on the far side of the moon. Now, this is kind of a sort of jumbled up a little bit retelling maybe of the the long existing 
underground based stories about the humans rising up against the alien overlords and, and people getting killed. I do like the idea of scientists being taken to the far side of the moon. That's fun. So that's just a little more fun alien stuff. So the aliens remain a constant presence in the first volume of the matrix, but when we pick up where we left off at the end of our last episode about this book, uh, we get into the realm of mind control. And in a lot of ways, this is very much similar to everything that's been written everywhere about mind control. It's all coming from these declassified um, CIA documents that were made public in the 1970s. It's coming from analyses of these things like uh, Walter Bauert's Operation Mind Control and other books like that that appeared. It just sort of gets reframed within a context that includes these various reticulins and omega not omegans um orionites and, and all these different uh, th these different alien groups so after we get a sort of recap of things like project artichoke and mk ultra and things like that we get into some more esoteric things more um, exotic mind control topics like this the RHIC EDOM file was a 350-page document prepared by the CIA immediately after the murder of JFK. The report described a way of turning men into electronically controlled robots that were programmed to kill on demand. In the RHIC phase, the individual was put into a trance and given suggestions that were activated in one or more levels by key words or tones. In the EDOM phase, which was an acronym for Electronic Dissolution of Memory, the memory of the individual was affected to either eliminate or alter the memory of events that the individual was involved in. By electronically jamming the brain, the existing acetylcholine creates static which blocks both sights and sounds. This method can be used to either block or erase the memory, or to slow it down so that events seem to happen after they actually have occurred. Anything like this that mentions messing with someone's perception of time always sort of puts me in mind of the missing time that seems to occur a lot during abduction experiences, UFO sightings, things like that. So that's always a connection that my mind makes. And we have our one example in this episode of, you know, sort of a callback to the last Matrix episode of a margin note. And this margin note is actually pretty sensible. I like it. Control of abductees, amnesia. So our margin note taker has made that connection as well between some of these mind control things and projects and effects on abductees. It also goes into um, the effects of uh, radio waves on um, on living creatures, ultrasonics, um, some of the early um, MK Ultra experiments, things like that. So what does all this have to do with anything? It sort of gets away from the alien stuff a little bit and goes into what uses the CIA might have for mind control. Now, a lot of the things that come up with the CIA and mind control is this idea of using mind control to create sort of mind-controlled, perfect assassins who, who don't know they're going to kill somebody until they're activated, then they, they go off and kill somebody. Um, the Matrix author has a little bit of a different take on it. Mind control is not needed to motivate assassins. 
it is useful to protect assassins and their employers from their own incriminating memories. Those memories cannot be pulled out later to incriminate those involved. In the same way, memories of those who are involved with alien interaction are altered, but the technology is a bit more advanced. In either case, some people never recover. In the military, the majority of those tampered with are enlisted personnel, since officers could have their pension withdrawn and have other measures imposed on them if they revealed details about the dealings of the government with non-human beings. Career officers are also usually bound by security oaths. Just to sort of, I don't know, maybe correct things a little bit, I am positive that enlisted service personnel who are career service members have pensions that could be put in danger, and I'm pretty sure enlisted personnel are also subject to security regulations, um, which may involve oaths. Now, what we have now is an interview or sort of interview presented uh, entitled An Interview with a CIA Employee, and I just love the way that Val Valerian sort of prefaces this interview with a CIA employee. The interview will be reviewed by including excerpts. In some cases, I will present it in question and answer format for clarity. Aren't all interviews question and answer in some way? I don't know. Maybe what he means is it's it's very formatted with a Q question and then A, the answer. Um, and this makes it more clear. Now, what makes it even more clear is the fact that our crack research staff has located a recording of this interview between an unknown question asker and somebody who supposedly is a CIA employee. And we present it here for your benefit. A career officer doesn't need to be debriefed by mind control, does he? You want to bet? This debriefing is done in such a way in many cases to cause actual memory damage. What about how the government works? (laughs) Don't kid yourself. This country is controlled by the Pentagon. All major decisions are made by the military. The CIA is just the whipping boy. NSA are the ones who have the hit teams. Look into their records. You won't find a thing. Look into their budget. You can't. The CIA is just just a figurehead. But as far as intelligence goes, the NSA is far superior to them, far in advance in the black arts. The CIA gets blamed for what the NSA does. The NSA is far more vicious and far more accomplished in its operations. The American people are kept in ignorance about this. They should be, too. What you're saying is that the military is more dangerous to our democracy than the CIA or other intelligence groups? The the CIA gathers the information, but the military heads the show. What you're suggesting, I guess, is that there is an invisible coup d'etat which has occurred in the United States? (sighs) Okay. There's a group of about 18 or 20 people running this country. They've not been elected. The elected people are only figureheads for these guys who have a lot more power than even the president of the United States. You mean the president is powerless? Not not exactly powerless, but he has the power to make decisions on what is presented to him. The intelligence agencies tell him only what they want to tell him. Think of the Pentagon Papers. It's public knowledge that the CIA has falsified documents and done a host of other things. You have to wonder at American stupidity. What people don't know is that the global corporations have their own version of the CIA. Where they don't interface with the CIA, they have their own organizations, all CIA trained. They also have double agents inside the CIA who are loyal to those corporations. What do you know about the use of pain drug hypnosis? They use several different things. I've seen guys coming back with blanks only in certain places of their memory. They use hypnosis and hypnotic drugs. They also use electronic manipulation of the brain. 
When they use hypnosis, they'll be using at the same time a set of earphones which repeat, you do not know this or that, over and over. They turn on the sonics at the same time, and the electrical patterns which give you the memory are scrambled. You can't hear the ultrasonics, and you can't feel it unless they leave it on, and then it boils your gray matter. I thought research had stopped on ultrasonics. (laughs) Yeah, the research stopped. They've gone operational. It ain't research anymore. They know how to do it. Our constitution doesn't permit us to do much that's legal. Do the police use mind control? At the highest levels, yes. This FBI uses it, and they give a lot of help to local police. Let me tell you something. The cheapest commodity in the world is human beings. What about conspiracies? All you ever hear about are left-wing conspiracies to overthrow our government. You never hear about right-wing conspiracies. Well, some of these right-wing groups are far more dangerous than the left-wing groups. The right-wing is usually retired military. If the right-wing took over right now, there would be a military dictatorship. We've got one now, but it ain't overt. It's subtle. You mean those 20 men you were talking about? Yeah, if the people of this country actually knew that, they would say no the next time they were asked to go to Vietnam. We need the people behind us to fight a war, and if they knew the true facts, who's running things, there wouldn't be the following we'd need to defend the country. That fact alone keeps the sham of politics and free elections going. The American people, like most people, have to feel like they have some right in what they do, that they're the good guys. This is the reason we've never lost a war and never won a peace. You've got to maintain the sham of freedom no matter what. It wouldn't make any difference what party is in charge or whether it was the elected government or what is called the cryptocracy that was running it. From an operational sense, the government would operate as it presently is. I don't know. The people in that recording sound kind of familiar to me, but apparently this is a CIA guy talking, so who knows? So the mind control stuff goes on for a while, and it it talks about how the aliens are using this mind control technology sort of that they help the government develop in order to make their job easier. Um, And it it does sort of say that uh, one can easily see, they say, how thought beam technology of the aliens and implantation of biological monitoring and and control devices fits nicely into the plan. So they sort of, you know, acknowledge that, yeah, this does sort of sound a lot like the same sort of thing. But, uh, you know, there are aliens on the one hand and there's government mind control on the other. They're trying to keep a lot of different sort of balls in the air. And then we get something we get a lot of in this second half of the book dozens and dozens and dozens of pages of reproduced declassified government documents which you know have that sort of feel of being secret and special and stuff you're not supposed to see right also i should point this out many of the pages in the matrix do the sort of bill cooper deal where the word confidential is in all caps surrounded by asterisks at the top of every page um not every section of the book but some sections have that confidential sort of header there to make people think they're actually or make people not think they are but to feel like they're looking at something that is perhaps forbidden something much less forbidden is the material presented later on in the chapter from the media mass media newspapers and such that explains how all of these alien and mind control things have been sort of present and and promoted and revealed through the media, including this shocking headline. Slave traders from outer space. UFO goons have targeted white-collar humans for abduction. And what fine news source is that from? It's from the July 5th, 1988 issue of the Weekly World News. But that's okay, as Val Valerian explains. The article above is from a tabloid, 
Tabloids are not subject to the restrictions that major news media have. Major news media have components allied with the controlling factions of society and are not permitted to release data such as this. On a recent Oprah Winfrey show, major tabloid papers were reviewed, and the conclusion was that most of the news reported is factual. Tabloids are the expected way for dissemination of news with strong emotional impact and strange nature. The article illustrates the apparent duality of tabloid articles. On the one hand, the title is sensational. The data, on the other hand, is factual. The acquisition of humans for alien uses has been known for a long time. Even less known is the acquisition of human labor by certain factions of our own government. This proof is supportive of a plan known as Alternative 3, which allegedly maintains that our government, together with the British and Soviet governments, has maintained an advanced series of bases on the Moon and Mars for many years, and that this is part of a move to emigrate to another planet. Allegedly, people are taken as part of batch consignments. These people are de-sexed and programmed to function in minimal-type situations. Scientists and major personnel are termed prime movers. Sources have told us that this data may be as much as 60% true, although some place the figure closer to 90% true. So I figured at some point Alternative 3 would pop back up in the materials we're covering. If you haven't listened to our episode on Alternative 3 from, gosh, a few years ago now, it's it's good. It's a fun one. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. And especially if you, you don't quite get those Alternative 3 references in that selection, uh, go ahead and check that out. We're coming to the end of the section of the book talking about mind control. And Val Valerian has some final comments on it that sort of blur back into some of the sort of historical and political stuff he talked about near the end of our previous episode. Somewhere within the United States, the technology for the creation of the perfect slave state is being perfected. The slave state will be designed to finish the job started at the end of World War II. Whether or not the mind-controlled state becomes a reality depends not so much upon the efforts of the cryptocrats, but upon the free will, determination, and strength of character of the American people. The predisposition to gain advanced technology in this field from alien sources is just an extension of the negative and devolutionary mentality that has been running the countries of the earth for many generations. We must recognize what is happening, inform people, and find a way to implement a productive and peaceful transition to a state where we can begin at a new level. So it's not missing entirely, but apart from the reference to advanced technology from alien sources, there's not really much flying saucerish or alien material in this section. There's a lot about the enslavement of the American people. There is material about how this can be prevented through the free will and determination and character of the American people. And this alien technology that is mentioned here, it's seen and presented as, what did he say? An extension of the problems, the negative and devolutionary mentality that has been in charge of human civilizations for a long time. So the alien technology stuff is just something that's been added on to a longer and deeper and more terrestrial conspiracy. So that's the section of the book that's sort of explicitly and sort of almost exclusively about mind control and political things like that. Valerian then, or rather now, transitions to some stuff about 
consciousness. He's mentioned fourth density beings and things like that in the first half. And now we start to get into some definitions and some explanations about what these different densities of being are. And it begins, and this makes a whole lot of sense for a number of reasons, with the first density. And I've got to say that there are several times I had to perform multiple takes of some of these things because my brain says density and then my mouth says destiny unless I need to say destiny and then I always say density. I think I caught all the ones I said wrong, but you know, if I didn't, just know that I am aware. The first density is characterized by the presence of the life force which pervades all density levels. This life force is the primary manifestation of the universal intelligence matrix. So, first destiny, (laughs) I'm going to leave that one in. First density is just basically the existence of life, the life force that pervades all density levels. Basically, I was going to say it's like the force from Star Wars, but we know now from the prequels that's because of something called midichlorians or something, so never mind. Um, Anyway, If that's the first density, what's the second? The second density is characterized by the previous density plus the presence of gender, polarities, physical bodies, and action by instinct. An example of a second density being would be the animal life on Earth, such as birds. So animals, basically. Except, here's the thing. The previous density, so just basic life, plus the presence of gender... Well, what about, you know, things like single-celled organisms that are life? And it's, it's, I would think that's more than just the generalized presence of life force. Um, I don't know. It's weird. And, of course, gender is different from biological sex, as, as we know. Uh, but um, the, the gender, comma, polarities, I keep wanting to say gender polarities because that just seems like it should be some kind of phrase. But uh, I, I think there needs to be a first and a half density somewhere in there. Okay, moving on to, I'm not sure what's next. I, I'm going to guess and say it's the third density. The third density is characterized by the presence of the previous two densities plus the elements of self-recognition and advancement through self-effort. Life forms are under conscious control. Terrestrial humans are among those residing primarily at this density. This density is also characterized by individual control of the mind or individualized consciousness, life, motion, and consciousness. Okay, so people, basically. Okay, let's keep moving. Fourth density is up next. Val, tell us what we've won. The fourth density is characterized by the abilities of the first three plus the element of understanding giving rise to the progressive state of being where entities understand each other primarily by means of thought transference, or telepathic abilities. Valerian goes on to explain that, quote, entities residing totally in the fourth density are in the unique position of being to transit between third and fourth density and largely are what we would term paraphysical entities. These entities, still quoting, use android-type bodies in order to interact within the third density android type bodies there's going to be some more of this and some of you know where this might be going i know a few of you are in the loop on uh, on what's coming up um it, it's it's fun so that's the fourth density 
What's the fifth? We're, we're at the, the people who are at the people who are transitioning between physical and non-physical. So it makes sense that that fifth density would be maybe even less physical and more etheric than even the fourth. Beings on the fifth density level are again entirely non-physical, and in this density one has the capability to experience himself as the entire dimension. This density level is the last one in which the element of negativity can be pursued. Entities on this density are capable of interdimensional travel and are chiefly responsible for the continuation of the games. Entities in this density can control an entire sector of physical space. You must understand that a being, knowing it is immortal, sometimes gets bored, and games are one of the distractions or activities that can be pursued. The game of self-limitation is one of the components that terrestrial humans are being involved in. This concept of games uh, between the various beings in the universe is a theme that Valerian comes back to again and again. And before we get to that, we do need to finally get to the sixth density. A sixth density being is aware of the many dimensions while still maintaining the separation between his many selves that exist at different density levels and other probable realities. The other selves are conscious projections of awareness. So the sixth density thing sort of strikes me as he like almost he had six in mind. And then after the fifth, it's sort of, you know, I was like, I'm not sure where to go with this besides making somebody multidimensional. So let's just, yeah, they're, they're in many different realities, whatever. So then after the densities are explained, he goes into this idea of this game notion again with something he calls the game of master and slave. Some EBEs are playing the game of master and slave with us. Again, they view humans as ants view aphids. Humans are not players in this game, and in order to become a player and leave the game, humans must become aware of the rules of the game. Okay, this makes no sense to me at all. So the EBEs, the aliens, are playing the game of master and slave with us, us being humans. However, then he goes on to say, humans are not players in the game. So we're playing the game with them, but we're not players in the game. So what are we actually playing? Because in order to become a player and leave the game, we must become aware of the rules of the game. Well, if you become a player, why would you leave the game? You're a player of the game. It, it, it just... It's almost like, and I think this might actually be the case, there's no real sense to any of this. He's simply writing things that, I don't quite know how to say this, he's writing things that dumb people would think sound deep. That's just how this game of master and slave section strikes me. Okay, let's take a little bit of a break for some announcements, and we will come back and Finish up The Matrix, Volume 1. We'll be back in a week with The Saucer Afterlife, looking at listener questions and having one of our associates with us to ask questions of their own as well about this second half of The Matrix. We got good feedback the first time we did this, so we're going to keep it going. So if you have questions about this episode, send them to us via email 
or social media, and those things are coming up in a bit. And then our next regular episode uh, is going to be a little different as our summer of innovation continues. I'm not entirely sure how it's going to turn out, uh, so I'll just say there will be a next episode, and it will be different. You can check out past episodes and support the show at saucerlife.com or through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much to those who've donated in the past. It's very much appreciated and has been vital with some equipment upgrades and some of the special things that are coming down the line. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life where you can send us questions or you can email us questions or comments at thesaucerlife at gmail.com or you can contact us by post at Chizo Media. P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. And now, back into the Matrix. Actually, before we get entirely back into the Matrix, I do want to mention an email I got from listener Martin K., who has provided us lots of stuff over the years, um, including those Woodrow Update newsletters that I'm a huge fan of. Um, not everybody is, but I like Greta Woodrow. She's she's weird. Um, he's got a uh, copy of Matrix One from Arcturus Book Service, which was a UFO book catalog outfit run by, I think, Bob Gerard was the guy's name. Uh, he's the guy who gave the uh, the really sort of damning review to Cito's new friends back in the day. Anyway, uh, Martin scanned uh, the cover image of his copy of Matrix One, which my scanned copy does not have. And it's very, very cool. It's got a a sort of fetus in a ball thing. And as, as Martin says, it has a very 2001 Space Odyssey vibe to it. But I will be putting that, uh, that cover, a picture of that cover up on social media a little later this week after this episode has appeared or dropped, as they say. So getting back into the Matrix Volume 1 itself, after talking about mind control and then going through each of the six densities that creatures in the universe or entities in the universe can exist within, we return back to the aliens, back to the greys to a certain degree. And what this does now is integrate this talk of densities and things like that into um, the existing alien, I don't know, social architecture, um, col- colonization, colonial architecture of aliens taking us over that has already existed. Over and above what has already been discussed, the Gray's concept of religion is their scientific capability, and they make use of this rather nicely in their efforts toward degradation and destruction of all who oppose them and their activities. I guess this is why the UFO researcher is so subject to being manipulated. Socially, it appears that they have a high sense of duty and blind obedience, but their negative leanings cause internal social disorder due to their telepathic abilities. This is a prime weakness, as Paul Benowitz pointed out. Their activities are planned around the concepts of conquest and colonization. Their basic game is to use nullification and domination to control the leaders of the population of a planet. They appear to accomplish this primarily by taking out the leaders and replacing them with their own entities made to resemble the leaders that are taken. Okay, so pay attention to this, folks. What we've got here are aliens who are going to replace our cultural, political, social leaders with their own people who are basically lookalikes. So if you're not up on something that we're going to be seeing in the future, 
and not just in here a little bit, but also it's going to get its own episode down the road, Organic Robotoids. This also very much resembles in concept, if not in substance and execution, this very sort of David Ikean notion of shape-shifting reptilians from the lower fourth dimension that we also saw our um, our eternal enemy, Sherry Schreiner. I was going to say our good friend, sarcastically, but no, our now dead eternal enemy, Sherry Schreiner, talking about with, you know, Queen Elizabeth is a reptile person, George W. Bush is a reptile person, Barack Obama is a reptile person, anybody you don't like is a reptile person. So we're getting into this strand of things as well. Now, am I a reptile person? No. No, I'm not. Could I be? Meh. Maybe. Anybody out there a reptile person, please uh, keep it to yourselves. I don't want to know. Now, that last excerpt also included a reference to Paul Benowitz, and several people have asked, are we going to do a Paul Benowitz episode at some point? And the answer is, I don't know. It's a vitally important story in the history of uh, saucerology in the United States and indeed around the world, but there's been so much already written and done about the Paul Benowitz story and Paul Benowitz saga that I'd almost rather just point you to some books. In fact, I don't know. We're going to do a Paul Benowitz episode, but it's not going to be a Paul Benowitz episode, if that makes sense. I don't know. Sort of thinking out loud as I talk about this. Probably not a good idea. Let's keep on going with The Matrix. Now, here's a good question that Val Valerian in The Matrix does answer. What's the deal with Earth? Why is Earth such a target for these uh, these extraterrestrial biological entities? A lot of science fiction TV that involve and movies that involve alien invasion usually have to at least glance toward this question of why Earth? Out of all the worlds in the universe, why Earth? I think back in 1970 when Doctor Who started doing week after week of aliens invading Earth stories, the explanation was that Earth had begun drawing attention to itself with radio waves and space travel and things like that. What is Val Valerian's explanation for this? The Earth is a somewhat unique planet, as it has such a broad spectrum of beings occupying several densities and from many races. It is inhabited inside, outside, and in the atmosphere in thousands of little pockets and time stream projections. Earth is a crowded place, a universal nexus, and is highly valued by the greys as a new home. Another way to characterize the basic operation for conquering a planet such as the Earth is to say that the greys locate terrestrial humans who vibrate spiritually in resonance with their frequency, whether it be on a mental level or a negative spiritual level. These terrestrial beings are then informed that they are the elite or the chosen ones, destined to lead or conquer other terrestrial groups and rule the planet. These terrestrial beings, as far as the pseudo-political policy is concerned, are often taken physically aboard a craft and transported to a bizarre environment where they are given physical examinations, have control implants installed, or inoculated with technical data for use in some future program, sleeper agents, that will benefit the activities of the greys. The function of the elite terrestrials, as far as the greys are concerned, is to cause decimation of portions of the terrestrial civilization to enable better management and control. Good examples of this policy on Earth are Adolf Hitler, Nazi versus Jew, and wars in general. Another Holocaust reference. 
Interesting. You don't usually get that in a lot of UFO stuff. But one thing that's interesting here is the uh, talk of terrestrial beings are taken physically aboard a craft and transported to a bizarre environment. But last time when we talked about part one and the saucer wife brought this up in her sort of questioning of things from this episode, I thought the whole point was to sort of bring these people into an environment that was culturally and socially and, and you know, however familiar to them. So we, we seem to be changing, uh, changing the rules of the game here a bit. And speaking of games, this metaphor of the aliens playing a game with us comes back up during this time. And again, it's a very confused sort of, I don't even know if I want to call it a metaphor. I think it's just confusing. And he's trying to, Valerian is trying to, like I said earlier, trying to sound clever without doing the work of actually being clever, which I've been doing for decades now, so I know how tough it is, but he doesn't quite pull it off. Humans are both culturally conditioned and implanted with programs that will keep them enmeshed in a world of apparent limitation. The world is then perceived to be fragmented. Science and physics are fragmented. All aspects of culture are fragmented to prevent people from realizing their true power and their true nature, to keep them in a condition where they cannot realize the true godlike powers that they have, to keep them enslaved. Now you have a good idea why things are the way they are. Games of conflict are only played by beings of less than fifth density. They can obviously be implemented by beings of greater than fifth density, especially when it is realized that there is no duality of good and evil that applies. Entities occupying fifth densities and higher know what is happening. It's the players at fourth and third density who most often don't even know that they are pawns in the game. So remember, we can't play the game until we're free from the game or something like that from earlier but now we're pawns in the game but we don't know we're pawns in the game because you and me we're third and fourth density types so what if we want to get out what if we don't want to be in the game what advice does val valerian have for us how not to play the game maintain ethical conduct with other beings find out about chakras and how to keep them balanced Limit your viewing of public media such as TV. Keep abreast of the world's situation. Look for ways that humans may be duped or implanted. Beware of disciplines that are scientific-religious based. Refrain from taking drugs and other substances that are harmful to the body. Find a personal belief structure or a personal philosophy that works for you and dig yourself out. Your best protection is in the knowledge that they're here and not being afraid of them. Try to practice unconditional love and non-judgment. I mean, that's not bad advice, really. I mean, not a lot of this is bad advice. Well, okay, looking for ways that humans may be duped or implanted. Okay, maybe that's bad advice. But the rest of this, maintain ethical conduct with other beings. I don't know about chakras. I don't have time to find out. Um, nothing about my life is really balanced in any way. I mean, I have a UFO podcast. My life is pretty severely out of balance, right? Um, but apart from that, you know, I I don't think this is necessarily terrible advice. Now, is it something that would keep the fifth and sixth density beings from playing the game with you? Probably not. Because really, how would you know 
whether you're playing the game at all. But in general, this is fairly innocuous advice, which sort of leads me to consider this kind of thing. And this is this might be a bit of a stretch to consider advice like this from Valdemar Valerian in his first book of The Matrix back in 1988 to be more akin to a contactee book than I ever would have imagined when I first encountered little bits and pieces of Val Valerian's stuff, excerpts from The Matrix, the OH Krill papers, things like that. The consciousness stuff, the ethical stuff, not really anything that I was expecting. So The Matrix then segues into a reprint of an article called Grudge 13, Canard or Reality? I'm not sure that a canard can't be real in some way. So that subtitle confuses me. This is from uh, somebody who is not uh, Val Valerian. He's reprinting this. And it's about Bill English's um, Project Grudge 13 report, which is the handwritten version of it is re uh, reprinted here. We won't go into this because we covered Bill English in uh, our episode about Bill English and his Grudge 13 report stuff. And following this, and this takes up probably 20 some pages of the book, you can see why this book uh, gets long. It's basically lengthy reprints of other things. The book then moves in to, as it says in the heading, the story of Gary Stolman. And this is what it says. On August 19, 1987, Gary Stolman walked into KNBC Channel 4 television studio. His father, Max Stolman, was a reporter for the station. The following day, the newspapers reported the following, that he talked his way into the station, into the studio, and pulled out what appeared to be a gun during a live newscast and forced a consumer reporter to read a rambling statement about space creatures and the CIA. Basically, he said that his father had been uh, replaced by a clone that was created by the Central Intelligence Agency and alien forces, which is honestly something you'd read in The Matrix by Val Valerian. It is, you know, it's rambling. It's it's weird. And then he sort of talks about why he is scared to, you know, discuss the situation with people and why he's taken the steps of busting in and broadcasting this live over the TV. It didn't actually make it out to the air, but he thought it was at the time. And I love this part of his, his rambling nonsensical statement where he talks about a warning he received. I was warned in 1981 by someone with connections to the CIA to stay off computers, that they didn't trust people on computers. Then I began receiving disturbing calls from my parents, which led me to believe that something terrible was going on. I was forced into a mental hospital in Tallahassee where I learned that my brother-in-law had been driven insane in the same manner that someone was trying to do to me. I eventually was released, but then my mom came down to visit me and I knew it was an imposter. I know that the Secret Service is involved in this as well, so who knows just how far this has gone in five years. Well, to be fair, have you been out there? I don't really trust a lot of people on computers either, including myself. So this rambling statement from somebody who's clearly troubled is basically held up without any sort of surrounding explanation or anything as kind of a corroboration of the other things that Val Valerian 
has been saying. Now, this is followed up in the book by a reprint of the entire so-called John Lear statement that appeared everywhere on BBSs and the early internet back in the late 1980s and early 1990s. We've talked about this in elements of this in various episodes down the line. You can see we're getting to the point where there is more reprints of things than actual original content from Val Valerian. Case in point, following the John Lear statement, we have the MJ-12 papers from the 1980s. I mean the Truman administration, of course. That is followed by the printout of the statement by Colonel Halt of the Bentwaters incident, which will Bentwaters Rendlesham Forest, which we'll do an episode about once I've actually figured out um, who might or might not be telling the truth. We may not do an episode about that. So you've got Colonel Halt's statement about that UFO situation. You've got a transcript of the Rendlesham Forest tape. Um, you've got uh, so this this goes on for dozens and dozens and dozens of pages. So we're able to move through volume two or episode two fairly quickly. And then it finally gets to something uh, new uh, or newish and a little more interesting. It's a statement by Howard E. Goldfluss, Acting Justice, Supreme Court, State of New York. And this statement was given in Omni Magazine, which we should really do an episode on sometime, in the June 1987 issue. I was as skeptical as the next fellow about unidentified flying objects. My legal training required evidence to prove the existence of UFOs. None was forthcoming, except for the typical tabloid headlines, I was sexually assaulted by a Martian, found at supermarket checkout counters. But what was laughable has now become serious. Solid evidence does exist to erase the skepticism. Before this evidence emerged, I believed the Air Force, the Central Intelligence Agency, and every other government agency that insisted UFOs were a myth. I would have continued to accept this government pronouncement forever if it had not been for the passage of the Freedom of Information Act. Congress enacted this law because it felt that the government was keeping too many facts from public inspection. This concern was certainly justified. Thanks to the FOIA, we now know that Uncle Sam has been sitting on evidence that UFOs do exist and that very substantial people have seen them. So Howard Goldfluss died at the age of 83 in 2007, and he was um, a trial lawyer. He was a judge of the criminal court of the city of New York, Supreme Court justice for the state of New York. He was also a novelist and an author, radio talk show host on three different stations in New York City, including WOR, which I think is the station that Long John Neville was. He was a commentator for the Fox News affiliate there. He was a newspaper columnist. He taught criminology at Fordham University, member of the New York State Commission on Child Abuse and Neglect. Um, He served in the Second World War. Um, The loves of his life, according to his obituary, were his family, the law, and his friends at the Friars Club. No mention in the loves of his life of his wife, Laura, of 58 years. But Omni Magazine was not wrong. Howard Goldfluss was a justice on the New York State Supreme Court. The question is, and this is always the question we must ask whenever prominent persons are trotted out by UFO types um, with UFO positive opinions, is what about his position on the New York State Supreme Court makes Howard Goldfluss any more credible on the UFO subject than you or I? The answer is nothing. 
because the information or the evidence he cites is the fact that the the Freedom of Information Act was passed. What? You know, we all know, well, at least especially by June of 1987, we all knew. I was 11 and I knew. We knew that the government was was hiding facts from public inspection, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not. But the idea that the, the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act itself, is somehow evidence of you know, the sort of granular level UFO cover-up that he's talking about is, is just, I don't know. It was, it's weird. There then follows a long, long, dozens and dozens and dozens of pages of poorly photocopied, mostly redacted, declassified material, and some stuff that would later appear on Usenet in various forms that is typed up to look like declassified material. And then we get to a section, again, with that asterisk heading in all caps, confidential, with a box of asterisks around it, with this description. Esoteric Investigations. The section immediately following this page has been compiled based on channeled materials, as well as public domain materials, and seeks merely to stimulate your thought processes. This stuff is so weird that we do not want to take any responsibility for it whatsoever. You know, if Val Valerian's saying that, it's going to be some weird stuff. So what kind of weird esoteric investigation based on channeled materials do we have here? We have pages and pages of statistics of when various sightings and anomalies occurred during which month and what astronomical events might have been going on at the time. It's very boring and confusingly laid out. Um, much less boring and confusingly laid out is the same image that is the sort of episode image for this episode. It's a rough map of the United States headed in handwritten letters, the phantom phenomenon with different um, symbols denoting animal mutilations, high UFO activity, possible portal vortexes, possible UFO bases, and suspected inner earth entrances. And we talked about this a bit uh, on the Saucer Afterlife last time with the Saucer Wife, who asked if there were any sort of window areas near where we lived here in the lower peninsula of Michigan. And I said, no, no, there are not. There is an inner earth entrance um, in southwestern Michigan near um, sort of Chicagoland, uh, and there are symbols for high UFO activity that look to be like they're supposed to be, one of them at least, over the Dexter-Hillsdale area, the swamp gas sightings, but it really isn't. Um, yeah, but uh, I used to live near some inner earth entrances in uh, the lower Midwest, so I should have checked those out when I had the chance. We also have a page headed, Some Current Terrestrial Comments. Ooh, something about the Earth rather than something from outer space. The energy grid network primarily set in place thousands of years ago is being restored by resetting the link pins or nodes around the Earth. The energy grid produces electrical flow as well as opens the dimensional linkage points to some of the other points in the universe. Once these linkage points are open, dimensional portals can be used, negating the use of spacecraft by many groups. The pyramids, once located on what was Earth's equator, are linkage points. Once the net is reconstructed, the Earth will be manipulated artificially to tilt the axis to proper alignment, which will energize the grid work. Every 3,600 years, those beings on Earth who have achieved fourth density 
are removed by those known as light beings, 5th, 6th, and 7th density beings, and will be relocated. So, even here in the esoteric information section of possibly unreliable channeled material, what do we have? We have stuff that basically corroborates the similar, I was going to say worldview, but universal view of the non-unreliable, non-channeled parts, beings of different densities and things like that. And that really is the story of this esoteric research section. It's a lot of things that are restated and reframed from the earlier part of the book, including a lengthy section about the different gray alien species or races that are interacting with humanity. Same restating of the basic conspiratorial narrative. There are some things that are new. There are some things that are a bit different. And these are the things that don't quite fit the narrative, which is why he's labeled them, you know, sort of shady and and suspect like this. Another race which is interacting a lot with humanity is the tall blonde race. There are two possibilities concerning their origin. They are probably the Procyans, who are a positively oriented race from the 5th, 6th, and 7th densities. But there is also a remote probability that they are the Orionites, or Aryans, who are also tall and blonde, but massively built. We do know of their existence, but interaction with them appears to have been rather limited at this point. The tall blondes are basically opposed to what the gray Rigelians are doing but will not interfere with them unless the Rigelians take some action that will affect more than the human race. Steps are being taken, from what we can determine, to try to induce the Rigelians to alter their activities, but immediate direct intervention appears out of the question. There is also a race of short blondes with a whitish-blue skin tint. These are the Palladians, who are from the 5th, 6th, and 7th densities. They would allegedly take the Rigelians out if our government asked them to do it, but it would be a messy affair, and many humans would probably be hurt in the process. So I think what he's doing here with the tall blondes and the mentions of the Palladians and things like that is giving a little nod, giving a little lip service to some of the more, well, to use the word that Val Valerian uses, a little more esoteric stuff, more of the channeled stuff, more of the stuff that is kind of in keeping with maybe Ashtar stuff, Palladians. You got Billy Meyer out there. No, we're not doing a Billy Meyer episode. I don't have time to deal with... Billy Meyer fans. I have an actual day job that takes up a lot of time, and I don't want this podcast to become a burden. So, no, no Billy Meyer episodes. If you don't know anything about Billy Meyer, count yourself lucky. Um, consider yourself blessed by God or various demigods or deities or the Space Brothers or the universe itself. Just be glad you don't know anything about Billy Meyer, really. I wish I didn't, but hey, I'm stuck. There's some other good stuff in this esoteric research section, including this um, quote or paraphrase attributed to Dr. J. Allen Hynek of Northwestern University and Project Blue Book, and pretty much one of the straightest straight shooters, scientifically speaking, and, and, and sort of practically speaking, in the entire history of the UFO field. This is what supposedly Dr. J. Allen Hynek was saying. It was at one time said that J. Allen Hynek stated that the key to the whole thing was in theosophy. I don't believe a word of that, but if anybody out there has a sourced quotation from Dr. J. Allen Hynek saying 
the whole thing is in theosophy or the key to the whole thing is in theosophy, please get in touch. But the sort of weasel wording and sort of qualifications here, it was at one time said that Heineck stated, and then we don't have like an actual quote. So it was at one time said by whom, which was the one time I would like a footnote, you clown. I think I said that in the previous Matrix episode or another recent episode. I say it a lot because these people refuse to actually source much of anything. And when they even state it, they state it in such a way as it's clearly not able to be proven one way or the other, which, of course, is the point. The other point here is to provide a segue into theosophy and trying to sort of square the circle of theosophical ideas about the origins of humanity with Val Valerian's ideas about the origins of humanity. So here is a, a little bit of a summary of the, uh, the theosophical sort of order of creation. The original beings that were responsible for the incarnations are referred to as the boneless ones. Their progeny were phantoms without physical form on this density of existence. This creation was, for all intents and purposes, a failure. It allegorizes the vanity of physical nature's unaided attempts to construct even a perfect animal, let alone man. These first creations were the first root race, the self-born. No inner being connected. No higher self or monad. No body. If I ran a wing place, the boneless wings would just be in a section called the boneless ones. The discussion continues. With the advent of the second root race, the sweatborn, the germ of intelligence was seen. It was the product by budding and expansion, the asexual form from sexless shadow. We know that some of the EBEs reproduce in this way. The third root race were egg-born androgynes. Parent material was used for the formation of a new being. EBEs? Dulcy labs? A more or less impenetrable veil of secrecy was thrown over the occult and religious mysteries about 12,000 years ago. Why? Was it? Really? 12,000 years ago? Eh, who knows. Anyway, we've got the uh, the first root race, the second root race, and as we can see, Valerian is sort of connecting these theosophical ideas, and there are people out there who know way more about theosophy than I do. Actually, I think most people probably know way more about theosophy than I do. Um, you could throw a dart and hit somebody who probably knows more about theosophy than I do. But he is sort of connecting these ideas to the pre-existing alien ideas. Just like with including material about the Palladians and the tall blondes and the short blondes, Valerian here is widening his net to try to draw in people from a variety of esoteric or mystical traditions and try to make everything appeal to as many people as possible. One more selection from this theosophical flavored passage. The first race, having created the second race by budding, the second race gives birth to the third, which is separated into distinct divisions, consisting of men differently procreated. The first two of these are produced by an oviparous method, while the early sub-races of the third humanity procreated their species by a kind of exudation of moisture or vital fluid, the drops of which formed an oviform ball which served as an extraneous vehicle for the generation therein of a fetus and child, the mode of procreation by the later races changed. 
The little ones of the earlier races were entirely sexless, as are some of the EBEs. Those of the later races were born androgynous. It is in the third race that the separation of the sexes occurred. From being previously asexual, humanity became hermaphroditic, or bisexual. Whatever origin is claimed for man, it supposedly took place in that way. Our fifth race, where humanity is now, is approaching the fifth element. Call it interstellar ether. If nothing else, this makes me want to watch that movie, The Fifth Element, again. A little while later, after some more meandering about theosophy, we get a little more information about the fifth race. History, or what is called history, does not go back further than the origins of our fifth subrace, a few thousands of years. With reference to our subrace, Indian documents say the following. The serpents who redescended, who made peace with the fifth race, who taught and instructed it. The poles have been inverted three times. The kings of light have departed in wrath. They also mention the lord of the dark face, who flew in the Vimanas mentioned in various Vedic texts, and the fact that they used them to rise above the rising waters of a deluge. There's evidence that the Americans have become, in only three centuries, the germs of the sixth sub-race, succeeding the roots of the European family. All this is intended to provoke a little thought, and maybe a little research on your part. That part is up to you. I'm not sure there's ever been an example quite like this of something from an ancient text being pulled so violently out of context. We do not know which Indian documents these are. We do not know anything. We just know that Indian documents say the following and then some stuff about the poles being inverted three times. And when I first read that, my first thought was that there are some some folks in Poland who are being flipped inside out in some way or turned upside down. And I found that um, troubling, but also a bit amusing. We get more photocopies of various things. And then sort of to tie more things into this, this Valvalarian universe, we have some stuff about Einstein and another theory, story, narrative that we should probably cover at some point on the show. Many have said that Einstein never completed the unified field theory. We have seen through many sources that he did. The Office of Naval Research made use of those relationships in the 1940s. These experiments became known as the Philadelphia Experiments. The logical extension of the unified field theory has been shown to be a relationship between energy, mass, and consciousness. They are all equivalent forms of the same thing. Looking back to the psychophysical aspects of the phenomenon of UFOs, we can immediately see the relationship. What does this tell us about the Philadelphia experiment? Almost nothing, which is fine because we haven't covered it yet, but a lot of you probably know what it is and what it entails. So now, as we finally near the end of this book, we have more photocopies of things. We've got stories about and speech excerpts of President Ronald Reagan talking about how humanity would come together if confronted by a threat from outside the uh, the Earth or outside of our solar system or some sort of alien threat. Something that is a, a rhetorical device in a speech um, taken as, you know, sort of literal truth. It's disclosure by people paying attention. We also, in amongst all of the uh, reprinted and, and photocopied newspaper headlines that supposedly corroborate Val Valerian's 
ideas, we've got a lot of headlines from the Weekly World News, some of which I've included here, which we may have actually covered on our episode about the Weekly World News, which is a really good episode, and I encourage you to check that out if you have not. But here's what Val Valerian presents as critical information for these unprecedented times. Psychic's brain melts like hot butter. He sets up ESP Link with Super Alien, and it blows his mind. Okay, gotta give that one points for the it blows his mind. Outraged scientists say Russians have created a cabbage man. Possibly the worst superhero ever, except in some circumstances where I can imagine cabbage man being the best superhero ever. Was she snatched away by space aliens? Girl vanishes into thin air. Yes. Yes, she was. Case closed. Space alien kills Soviet scientist. UFO crash survivor sprays deadly mist, reveals secret study. Can't blame him. Seriously, I'd do the same thing, and if you're honest, so would you. What follows the Weekly World News section is an extensive conversation and set of evidence about organic robotoids, uh, basically sort of organic android doubles of prominent personages. personages. We're not going to look at this in depth um, or at all, because even though it's not entirely flying saucer-based, At some point in the not-too-distant future, we are going to have an episode about the unfortunately but hilariously named Dr. Peter Beter and his theory that organic robotoids had replaced many, many leaders within the American government. There is a secret space program. There's a battle in outer space. There are Soviets. There are, in fact, Rockefellers at the root of all of the trouble. I'm going to find a flying saucer angle to it somehow, but we are going to talk about Peter Beter and his organic robotoids. So we are at the close of the Matrix Volume 1, and there are some final comments, many of them. We're not going to look at all of them, but I think these are significant. Two, stabilize your resonant level in a positive way. Try and work on your orientation. The ultimate orientation is unconditional love and non-judgment. Again, we've got this love and non-judgment thing, which is very, very contactee-ish and actually kind of refreshing in the face of the grim, unrelenting darkness of the implants and grays and alien deals gone bad and things like that, cattle mutilations, mind control, all of that. What's another comment that Val has for us here at the end? Three, constructively resist attempts to pervert the planet and its population by those who would destroy it for their own profit and gain. Resistance is constructive only when it results in a positive change. Again, can't argue with that, really. What else have you got for us, Val? Six, negatively oriented entities will not hang around the planet if no one will let them. You as a people have that choice. Work to educate others in a way they will understand. When they are ready, they will know. So that we can collectively become of one mind and repel those who would slow our evolution as a planet. The bad guys wouldn't be here if you were doing stuff right. It sounds a little victim blamey-ish to me, a little bit. But it does tie into those earlier ideas of the, the evil greys being sort of drawn to the negative energy 
from some humans. And finally, here's one more conclusion or comment that Val has for us. Eight, there are plenty of races out there who are positively oriented ones who would like to see terrestrials evolve into positive interaction. We're not alone in this universe, and we need to mature and recognize that fact and stop playing the Orion-based reality hoax. Stop fooling yourself into inaction, and let's work together to develop new approaches where all beings will benefit. Again, a bit of positivity here, but positivity that is the result of proactive behavior by right-thinking, right-acting humans. And I've got to find a way, just in conversation or in life or something, to tell people to just stop playing the Orion-based reality hoax, man. Come on. Come on. So, my conclusions, uh, my thoughts about Val Valerian and his Matrix, it is not what I expected. I, uh, I think I've hinted at that some in this episode so far as we leave the Matrix, as we leave this book behind, and we are leaving it behind. I'm not looking at volumes two through five. I'm sorry. Life's too short. But um, I urge you to, if you're interested in this sort of thing. This is not what I expected. I expected somehow um, 400 or 300 pages of O.H. Krill level darkness and paranoia, when in fact, all we got were about two-thirds of the book of O.H. Krill level darkness and paranoia. There was a lot of light here. There was a lot of positivity. There was a lot of attempts at consciousness raising, um, which surprised me and which I found a bit more refreshing than I expected. Before we leave, I was sort of wondering, even though he's still got his his website out there, truefax, org, check it out. Um, if you want to throw some money Val's way, um, I won't stop you. Uh, he's provided a lot of stuff over the years for people who are into the things that they are into. But I was curious as to what profile or what level of profile or what visibility Val Valerian, a.k.a. John Grace, had today, or at least in the last few years, on the paranormal scene, the UFO scene, on the internet zones where those things exist in general. So I found a post on Reddit from three years ago by a user named Traveling Traveling Ninja, but it's all misspelled. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's what it is. But the subject line is Val Valerian, and then in parentheses, someone help me, complete with exclamation point. Hey, so I recently discovered Val Valerian, not the alien from Venus, but the author of Matrix. His real name is John Grace. Is he alive today? I can't find any current information or any death information. What happened to him? I'm curious because I'm slightly worried the shift happened already, and I may have gone to a lower conscious. My hope is that we haven't made the shift yet and it's coming, but I think I answered my own question. We shifted in 2012, all of us. We are now in a different reality or lair. In 2018 or 2023, don't know which, but it's one of the two, we'll go through another shift, this time more aligned with our personal vibrations, and we'll enter either a higher or lower state of consciousness, depending on our vibrations, if they were high or low. Once this occurs, the reality that we are familiar with will no longer exist and crumble and will begin a new cycle. So yay, right now we are on a new wavelength. The old wavelength we were on is still there. The earth is still there, but no life. All life is now on this wavelength until the next shift. Bless and love. All answers you seek 
are within you. Any word that sounded like it was the wrong word being used there was not my error. It was simply how it was typed out. So my biggest problem with this, and I've got a few, is Val Valerian, not the alien from Venus, but the author of Matrix. Is this person getting Val Valerian confused with Valiant Thor? The ignorant mother... Eh, that made me angry. I almost stopped reading it. I almost you know didn't use this. But honestly, this sounds like the sort of person that Val Valerian is trying to reach. Talk of vibrational wavelengths. Talk about a new cycle. Talk about you know, transitioning to something else and shifting, but they sound lost and they sound like from the fact they can't find anything about, about Val Valerian anywhere. It sounds like they don't really know how to internet very well. Val Valerian's matrix is a seminal work. It's a significant work. I'm not sure it's an essential work. I think the essential Val Valerian associated work is the OH Grill document, the distillation of the hundreds and hundreds of pages that we've covered on the last couple episodes. Um, does that mean Val Valerian's Matrix is a book that really doesn't need to exist? Yes. <laughs> Harsh but true, and I would say it about some of the books I've written myself, actually. Thank you for listening. Leaving the Matrix, no, still not that one, featured Sasha Gimlinson as our marginalia voice and as the voice of the interviewer of the anonymous supposed CIA man, and I believe we will be keeping this... What about conspiracies? ...around for whenever things get conspiratorial. We will return in one week with the saucer afterlife segment about this episode so if you've got questions or comments about this topic please send them to the saucer life at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter or instagram or the saucer life podcast i think that's what it's called on facebook and i and my mystery guest I think I know who it's going to be, but uh, you never know. Things can change uh, at last minute. Um, they and I will um, address your questions, and I'm sure they will have questions of their own. Music and special sounds were by the Chizo Media Radiophonic Workshop. Our associate producer was Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Chizo Media, our heart is with the people. Till next time. Keep watching the skies, because the skies have given up on reading Val Valerian's Matrix and have settled for watching you.